Now, if you would turn with me in your copy of the scriptures to Psalm chapter 90, and if you would please stand for the reading of God's word. Psalm 90. A prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust, and say, Return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning, and in the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we were brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we, have, we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are seventy, or even by reason of strength eighty. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord. How long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day and thank you for your word. We pray that you would teach us from it. We pray that we would hear you, Holy Spirit, speak and not me. I pray that I would move out of the way and that we would hear a word from you. We say these things in Christ's name. Amen. So as we go into a new year, it's usually a time where we take stock of our lives. We think about the ways that we want to be better, and we set some goals. Perhaps we want to get into shape. Maybe we're thinking about reading through the Bible in a year, taking up a new hobby. could be a number of things. We make a lot of New Year's resolutions. It's a time when we figure out what our priorities are going to be for the coming year and how we're going to look at life for that year. We're figuring out what our perspective for 2018 is going to be. So this morning, we're going to see in our passage that the perspective that we're to have on life, no matter what the year is, is an eternal perspective. So the first step to having an eternal perspective of life is that we are to focus on God's eternal sovereignty. We'll see this in verses 1 through 6. So we don't exactly know when this psalm was written, but we do know who wrote it. If you look at the very top of verse 1, it says, A prayer of Moses, the man of God. That wasn't something that was added in later. That's actually scripture. That was added in whenever, they wrote, whenever Moses wrote this. He said, A prayer of Moses, the man of God. So we know who wrote it. But it was probably written during the 40 years that they were wandering around in the wilderness, maybe around the time that Moses' sister Miriam and his brother Aaron died. Because we can tell from the content of the psalm that that would fit. Moses is beginning his reflection of life, and he tells us that the Lord is the people's dwelling place in verse 1. During the time of the wanderings, they had no home. They would, 
They would camp out each night in their tents, and the next day they would pack up and they would keep going. So they didn't have a home. So the Lord was their dwelling place. They weren't in the promised land, which was their home. Moses tells us that they weren't at their true dwelling place, which is with God. But I want you to notice the word that Moses uses for God. Look at verse 1. He uses the word Lord. He has a capital L and he has a lowercase O-R-D. That's different from God's name Yahweh, God's covenant name. This is another name for God. It's It's the word Adonai. And what it means is it emphasizes God's sovereignty. It emphasizes God's control over the world. Moses is saying that the Lord who is their dwelling place is the sovereign God, is the Lord above all things who controls everything without competition. He rules over the universe completely. The late R.C. Sproul, he said, there are no maverick molecules running around loose. God is sovereign. So what he was saying was, there's not one atom, not the smallest thing in all of the universe that is out of God's control. God literally controls everything. Moses emphasizes the sovereignty of God again when he says in verse 3 that God returns man to the dust. See, it's at the command of God that you and I, we pass away and our bodies return to dust. Death is not this force that's out of the control of God, but instead it's God that commands it. God is in control of everything. We know this because in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, it says that man is appointed a time to die once and after that to face the judgment. So we have a time appointed by all of us, by the sovereign God, that we are to go, that we are to return to the dust. See, Moses, he shows us the same point again in verses 5 and 6. He says that God sweeps man away like a flood and that they are like a dream. That phrase, like a dream, it means that they fall asleep. The NIV version actually captures it really well when it says that they sleep the sleep of death. What Moses is saying, he uses this idea that we go to sleep. You know, we fall asleep in death. Paul uses it a lot to talk about the death of saints because it's something that's temporary. Your bodies will come back in the resurrection. But Moses also uses a comparison of grass that comes up in the morning and by the evening it's gone. See, in desert places like where the Israelites were wandering around, the morning dew would cause these little twigs of grass to come up and they would stay about till noon when the sun would come out in its fullness and it would scorch the grass and it would die and by evening it was gone. So it had about a day lifespan. So what Moses is saying is that this is what our life is like. Our lives are short. But Moses doesn't just, and they're under the control of the sovereign God. But Moses doesn't just tell us that God is sovereign, that he's in control of all things. He also tells us that God is an eternal God, just like we were talking about with the kids. Uh, In verse 2, it says, From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. God has always existed. Before anything ever was, God was there. God is... He was the source of all life and creation because he is before all life and creation. It finds its root in God. Moses shows this even more when he says to God that a thousand years in your sight are as but yesterday in verse 4. That's an insanely large amount of time. 
A thousand years is something greater than we can really count. I can only count to ten on my hands. That's as high as I go. So a thousand, I can't do. He's the, time has no effect on God because he's the master of it. He's the eternal creator of time. Do you guys remember what happened a thousand years ago? I didn't either. So I had to go look it up. And when I did, I found a couple of, a couple of interesting things. So the country Hungary was established as a Christian state a thousand years ago. Um, also, Leif Erikson landed on North America at Newfoundland. And it was also a leap year. All that stuff that I had to go look up and find out to God is as a day. It happened yesterday. But Moses even says, he's, he makes it even kind of crazier for us. Look at verse 4. He says, or as a watch in the night. Now a watch in the night would have lasted three hours. So what he's saying is, 1,000 years ago to God is as three hours. See, God is he's eternal. He's greater than time. He's, he's above it. This is the God that we worship. This is the God that we serve. So why is that important? Well, just like we were telling the kids. It's important because we need to refocus on who God is. Oftentimes, you and I, we can get so busy in our day-to-day lives that we miss the nature of God. We forget who God is. Even when we're studying God's word and we really are trying to learn about him, sometimes we just take things about God for granted. We don't think about them as much as we, as much as we maybe should. We let things like God being the creator and God being a loving and a merciful God, sometimes they become things that we say rather than things that we're resting in. They become things that we say when we're talking about God, but sometimes we forget to rest in them, to make him our dwelling place. When was the last time that that we reflected on the fact that God has been around since before time began? When was the last time that we reflected on the fact that there's not one atom that's out of God's control. When you stop and when you think about it, that should give you confidence in the Lord. That he is from before everything, and he also controls everything. See, we have a God that it should give us we have a God that loves and cares for us, who is totally in control. That gives you confidence when you pray, because you don't pray to a God that can't do anything about your situation. You pray to a God that is in control of everything. You pray to a God that can change your circumstances because he controls everything. That's the God that we're to call our dwelling place. He's the eternal sovereign Lord, and we're to to rest in him whenever things seem like they're falling apart. We know that God is going to deal kindly with us and And do what is for our good because it's what he's always done from all eternity. We don't, like I said, we don't pray to a God that can't help us. Pray to a God who's in control. Who moved heaven and earth to save us from our sins. That's the God that we worship. So when you want to have an eternal perspective, we need to focus on that God. We need to see God for who he is. We can rest in the eternal dwelling place of our sovereign Lord. Don't forget that we're not eternal, and God is. That he's in control, even when things seem like they're out of control. So grandparents, 
they're the wisest people on earth. And I think the reason why they're the wisest people on earth is because they've been around longer than anyone else on earth. They've done so many more things than we have. They've usually done everything we're about to do. They've made all the mistakes we're about to make, and they can tell us exactly how things are going to go. And that's why we go to them for advice. That's why we go and we ask them, if I do this, how's it going to work out? Because they know. They've done it. And it seems like, at least when I was a kid, it seemed like my grandpa had been around forever, that he was kind of eternal. But sadly, he wasn't. He passed away, just like my grandma, just like we all were. You see, but God stays forever. God doesn't have wisdom because of his past mistakes. God has wisdom because he's the sovereign, eternal Lord. You can trust in the wisdom of God because it has lasted from all eternity, and it will never go away. So don't forget to look to that sovereign Lord. When you find yourself deep in the busyness of this year, take time to pause and reflect on the fact that God is that eternal sovereign Lord that loves you, and he rests and, and, and rest in him. When your best laid plans for this year go south, don't let it ruin everything. Remember that God is... He is in control. When you feel like things are going the exact opposite way that they should this year, remember that God has a plan. That God's plan has been going since before time began. That God's going to continue to guide his creation forever. Focus on God this going into this next year, and it should reprioritize everything about our lives. Next, we see to have an eternal perspective that we need to focus on our few days, man's few days. We see this in verses 7 through 12. So Moses, he goes on and he focuses on the quantity and the quality of the days that man has. The people of God in the wilderness were consumed by the anger of God because they were disobedient to God's command to go in and conquer the land of Canaan. They were supposed to go into the promised land and to clear it out, to live in it. And the people's unbelief and their idolatry led to the Lord's harsh treatment of them. It should come as no surprise to you and me that the punishment for sin is death. Remember Genesis chapter 2, verse 17. He told, God told Adam that if he ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that in that day he would surely die. Moses also tells us that the short lifespan that we have on earth is not accidental. And the returning, life, the returning to the dust that we have is not this natural part of life. It's a result of something. It's a result of sin. Look with me at verse 8. Right after he says, we are, brought an end, we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. He says, you have set your, our iniquities before you and our secret sins in the light of your presence. See, it's the result of sin that these people were passing away. Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. See, the reason why people die is because we sin. That's what God tells us in Genesis chapter 2. This is what Moses shows us in verse 8. See, when we're we're told that our iniquities are before God, it gives the idea of being right in front of God. They're right in front of God's face. They're not hidden. He even tells us that the secret sins that we do 
are in the light of God's presence. When the people in the wilderness would murmur and complain under their breath that the manna tasted bad, that they were tired of quail, God took notice of it. When you and I, when we sin and we try to hide it, we hide those sins that we don't want people to know about, it doesn't escape the notice of God. Try as we might, we fail to hide our sins from God because he's everywhere and he knows everything. Moses continues to tell us that our days pass away under the wrath of God. Now I know that's not something that we like to talk about or that we talk about a lot. But we need to see the fierceness of God's wrath. Moses wants us to see the fierceness of God's wrath. He shows us that our years are brought to an end like a sigh. James tells us in chapter 1 that our lives are like a vapor. This morning it was cold and when you walked outside you could see your breath. And two seconds later you couldn't see it. That's what James is talking about. When you compare our lives to the eternal God, our lives are short. But not only that, Moses says that the years of our lives are 70 or they're 80 if we're strong. Now 70 and 80 years, that's a good long life. You can get a lot done in 70 and 80 years. But when you compare it to the people in Genesis, it's not that long. Let's think about a couple for, for a moment. Abraham, he lived to be 175 years old. Sarah, his wife, lived to be 127. Isaac, their son, lived to be 180. Lifespans got shorter and shorter. And even if you have a long life, he tells us that it's full of toil and trouble. So we have a few days. Now, I know that sounds depressing. But there's a reason why Moses is showing us that our lives are short. And he's about to tell us why. This is why Moses, so since our days are short, this is why he says, Who has considered the wrath of God? Who has pondered over God's anger? We need to consider it. And when we consider the wrath of God, our reaction should be of genuine devotion and love for the Lord. The reason why you and I need to have a healthy understanding and fear of God's wrath is because it makes the cross that much greater. You see, if you're in this room and you believe in Christ, you don't have, you're not going to be under the wrath of God because Christ paid the wrath of God for you. But whenever you look at God's wrath, whenever you see that God took sin so seriously that he let a whole rebellious generation perish in the wilderness because they wouldn't listen to him, that shows you how serious your sin is. It shows you how serious the wrath of God on us really was and how important it was that Christ came. Christians need to have a healthy understanding and fear of God's wrath. But Moses also tells us in verse 12 that we're to number our days so that we can get a heart of wisdom. See, God has numbered the days of man, and we're to do the same thing. We're to look at our days and realize that they're few, that they're short. And the reason why is because we need to weigh out the importance of what we're doing. This is why Moses goes on so long talking about how short man's life is compared to God. How short man's life is compared to the people that came before him. He's not trying to depress us. He's not trying to say that we're all going to die tomorrow. What he's trying to say is that you have few days and so you should spend them well. 
We have, few de- we have few days in a year. I'm sure that you, like me, are wondering where August went and where October and November went and how in the world are we on New Year's Eve because it passed by like that. That's what Moses is trying to get across to us. Your days pass by like that. So we should spend them well. We need to weigh out and figure out what we're doing. We need to focus on things for the kingdom of God. Now, I'm not saying that you can't have hobbies. Hobbies are nice. God gave us hobbies. He wants us to enjoy the world. But what Moses is saying is that we're made for so much more weightier and better things than to waste our life with the things that aren't going to last, with things that aren't going to be for eternity. It's all good to have hobbies, and it's all good to even sit down and watch TV and relax. But it's not good to make those things our life. C.S. Lewis, he said, aim at heaven and you will get the earth thrown in. But he said, if you aim at the earth, you will get neither. What he means is that the way to be the best husband, wife, pastor, CEO, accountant, child, student, is not to focus on the things of this world that pass away, but to look to the Lord who sits on the throne of heaven, that Lord that we serve. We're to realize how short our days really are and to spend them well, working for our Lord. So what's on your bucket list? Do you have a bucket list? I do. I'm not really sure everything that's on it because I kind of make it up as I go. But we usually have things on our bucket list like going to see the other side of the world, traveling to all 50 states, maybe going to see the Northern Lights, going to the Grand Canyon, or if you're really brave, climbing Mount Everest, something like that. That's not on mine because I'm sure I would die. But, but what's the point of a bucket list? You write a bucket list because you have some things you want to get done before you go. You have some things that you want to get accomplished. And the closer and closer that you get, To the end, the more purposeful we are about doing those things on our bucket list, the more we start to count up the money and figure out how we can do it. When you realize that your days are short, you get focused. That's what Moses is trying to say. When you realize that your days are short, you should get focused. Don't get caught up in the things of this world that will last, that won't last. It's all good to watch TV and movies, but don't get caught up in them. Don't get caught up on what the movie stars are wearing and all this kind of stuff that's going to pass away. Moses is saying is, remember that you have few days and spend them well. Count the, call, count the, the weight of the things that you do. Are they for the kingdom of God or are they things that are going to pass away? Don't waste the opportunities that we're given this year to live for God's kingdom. Live for eternity. Think about the wrath of God. Because when you do, the cross becomes so much more beautiful because you understand that the Son of God took all of the wrath of God for you and for me. But Moses moves on, and he tells us that lastly, to have an eternal perspective, we must focus on our need for God's grace. We see this in the last verses of 13 through 17. Moses ends his psalm with a prayer for God's people for the grace and compassion of God. He asks the Lord to return to the wanderers in the wilderness. He asks how long... Are they going to not feel the mercy of God? See, when we meditate on God's wrath, when we see how short our days are, we realize that we are in desperate need. 
that we need a Savior. We need the grace and the mercy of God, just like Moses saw. We're pushed to ask God, how long? How long are we not going to feel your, your mercy? We cry to the Lord, as Moses did in verse 13, to have pity on your servants. Charles Spurgeon, probably one of the greatest preachers that ever lived in London, he said, commenting on this verse, that as sin drives, us from God, drives God from us, so repentance cries to the Lord to return, for, return to us. Moses is repenting for the people. He knows that their sin has caused God to stand away from them. It's not that God has abandoned them. It's not that God has forgotten about them and said that they're not his people. But God did stand far away. But when they repented, God returns. It's the same thing when you and I repent. Whenever we sin before God, we need to realize that we have to cry out, have pity on your servants, to ask him to return. So Moses asks the Lord that, they would, that he would satisfy the people in the morning with his steadfast love in verse 14. That word steadfast love, it's a, it's a Hebrew word called hesed, and it means God's covenant loyalty. It's extremely important. You see it all throughout the Old Testament. It's the love that comes from Yahweh as, as a covenant God. In fact, in verse 13, Moses calls on God's name Yahweh. If you look, you see the word Lord, but you see it all capitalized. That's Yahweh. He uses another name for God. He's crying out for God to give the covenant compassion and, and caring and love for his people. See, Moses has a balanced view of God. He doesn't see God as this fiery judge that sits on top of a mountain. And if you get one pinky toe out of line, God's going to throw a lightning bolt at you. But he also doesn't think of God as a fluffy teddy bear that doesn't care about sin and just lets everyone do what they want willy-nilly. God, Moses is balanced in the way that he looks at God. God is indeed a wrathful judge. And he takes sin so seriously that he sent his son to bear that great wrath for you and for me so that we could live our lives from an eternal perspective, so that we could live our years working for him and loving him and caring about the people around us. Moses also says something that we don't say very often. Look at verse 15. He says, Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen evil. So what Moses is saying is, Thank you, Lord, that you discipline us. Moses is thanking God for his discipline. See, Moses understands that they needed to be taught a lesson. They had been idolatrous, they had been sinful, they had disobeyed the Lord, and they needed some discipline. See, God disciplines all of his children. He disciplines you and he disciplines me. Often we ask God to take away his discipline before we've seen the point. We just want some immediate relief. But instead of doing that, we should ask God, what sin is he trying to get rid of in our life? What's he trying to do in that discipline? So that's how we thank the Lord for his discipline. We ask him, what are you doing? What, what is going on? What sin do you want to get rid of? Because God uses that discipline by the Holy Spirit to make you and me more like Christ. In verse 16, Moses asks God to show his work to the wanderers again. Now they had seen God's wonderful works. They had seen God's work of discipline. They had seen God's work of wrath. 
They're asking for God's work of mercy. They're asking for God's work of grace. He wants them to be able to be instruments of the Lord's will again. They want to enter into the promised land. They say that it's not just for them, but it's for their kids. It's for their children. They don't want their children to be born in the desert looking for a home. They want them to be born in the promised land. They want the grace of God for their kids, just like any of us would. Moses also asks for the favor of God to be on his people. And this isn't something that they deserve, or it's not something that we deserve. Like them, we've disobeyed the commands of God time, time again. Like them, we've we've made idols in our hearts. We've said that the fleeting pleasures of sin are better than the riches of heaven because they're easier to get. We're just like the Israelites. But whenever we repent, we're asking the Lord for his favor. We're asking the Lord for something that we don't deserve, that we can only get through Christ. But see, focusing all this focusing on eternity, you can say all this and you might think, well, what about now? Am I just not supposed to worry, to worry about what's going on here and what's going on now? Well, no. That's not what Moses says either. Look at verse 17, or 16 and 17. He says, Let the favor of our of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. He asked God to establish the people's work twice. He's doing that for emphasis. He's driving the point home. He says, Lord, I want you to establish our works in the here and the now. See, Moses wants the people to know that what they do matters. He isn't saying to neglect this life. He's saying that the works that you do are important and that we should want them to last. See, the way that you're the best accountant, CEO, fireman, preacher, student, whatever, the way that you are the best at your job is that you do it for God and you ask him to establish the works of your hand. That was something that the reformers way back when brought to the people. They said, you don't have to be a preacher to work for God. Everything you do, you do for the glory of God. If you're a plumber, be the best plumber you can possibly be. Because you love God. And because you want them to see the glory of God in what you do. See, the people of God have a wonderful work ethic. Because Paul says in 2 Corinthians, if a man won't work, he won't eat. Because God knows that a working man is fulfilling his purpose in Genesis chapter 2. He wants us to glorify him in what we do. That's why Moses says, establish our works. When we do them for you, bless them. Establish our works. So when I was a kid, I got disciplined a lot. I know that's hard to believe because I'm so nice. But I got disciplined a lot. And one thing I never, ever, 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 ever thought to do was to look at my parents and say, thank you. I never wanted to do that. It was probably because all I could think about at the moment was I was being punished. I didn't really like it. And all I could feel was the pain in my rear end. I didn't really want to thank them for that. But now, I'm 24, not 37, but I'm 24, and I understand that all that discipline, all that pain in my rear end, it really helped me out a lot. It kept me away from a lot of stuff that my friends were doing. The, the fear of getting spanked and the 
desire not to disappoint my parents, it really made me want to be good, want to, be, want to please them. It was a grace in disguise. See, a lot of the times the grace of God comes in disguise. It comes in ways that we might not necessarily expect it. But whether it comes in discipline or a kind and compassionate word, we should thank God for his grace in all the forms that it takes. So cry out to God for grace. When you see the Lord as a sovereign and eternal God, and you see yourself as someone with short days because of our sin, cry out for grace. God didn't leave us in our state of misery and sin. He gave us a way out. He gave us Christ. Lean into God this year. A lot of the times when we see God for who he is, we want to run because we see how much we don't measure up. But God says, don't run. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's what the Lord wants from us. If you're frustrated with your kids, your job, your parents, your school, whatever, cry out to the grace of God. Cry out and ask for God to give you grace. This year is going to be filled with times of trials and times of gladness. And either one, ask for God's grace. Lean into the Lord. There are going to be times when you feel really close to the Lord. And there are going to be other times that you feel far away because of your sin. Sometimes when we feel far away from God, we do one of two things. We either run or we try to work to get back to him. Don't do either one. Cry out for God's grace. Don't try to work to get to God. You're never going to make it. I'm never going to make it. Cry out for God's grace this year. Whenever you do your work, whenever your boss makes a decision that you don't like, a coworker is really annoying, remember that you work for God and not man. That you work to have excellence so your work will be established and it will be forever. This year, what perspective are we going to have? An eternal one or an earthly one? Are we going to see ourselves for who we are? People that are in desperate need of a sovereign, eternal, covenant God to love us and to change our hearts and minds. Or are we going to not really worry about it and just let another year pass by? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you so much for Psalm 90, for how it reshapes us and refocuses us and shows us who you are. And we pray that you would be with us this year. Help us to have a perspective that is focused on you. Help us to see you for who you are, for who we truly are, and to cry out for your grace. We say these things in the name of your Son, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.